0: Wow, what a good morning this has been already. I hope uh, and pray that you have felt God meeting you in some part of this service of worship today. And uh, if you're a newcomer in the circle, um, I hope you also feel the love in this place that there is and uh, that you'll stay with us and keep engaging with us in the days to come as we get to know your story and to figure out better how we can support all that God wants to do in your life too. Uh, I want to say for those I've not met, I'm Dan Meyer, I'm uh, one of the pastors here, and I'm bringing to a close today a series that we've been in for many, many weeks now called Remarkable Relationships. But before I jump in today, I also want to just share a couple of of thoughts from the heart about the the community here. One is, thank you for that Veterans Day tribute. Thank you for the opportunity that it gives me to be called to give thanks for people that have uh, put it on the line in various ways in our world uh, for the sake of all of the, the goodness that we experience. I know that veterans are just one of many different classes of groups of people that are out there teaching and, and providing health care and, and serving and protecting and defending in many ways. But I am especially uh, fond of the veterans because uh, my son, uh, Amy and I have a son, a 28-year-old son who's serving overseas right now with the U.S. Army. And uh, it brought a lump to my throat today as we were honoring uh, those who are out there. Um, so thank you for that. And thanks for being a family that cares about those kinds of rhythms. Second, I, just, I, I think most of you heard by now that our uh, dear friend, the Reverend Pete Stearns, has just been called to become the lead pastor of a church in North Carolina. If you haven't seen the correspondence about that, that is happening. Uh, he, uh, he has been with us since he was 19 years old. He's 33 now, and he is heading out just after Thanksgiving to become the pastor of St. Mark's Church in Burlington, North Carolina. And uh, we are both really sad about Pete leaving us and we are really glad for what this means for the wider work of the kingdom. And so uh, Pete will be preaching for the final time on the 21st of November, I should say final time before we bring him back as one of our guest pastors uh, for Summer Lights or one of the other opportunities Uh, But next Sunday, if you uh, want to, you can find Pete and his wife Brittany and their two kids down in our Garden Chapel between services. That's the 14th of November, uh, between services, uh, and and you can offer a personal word uh, to them. Uh, And then on the 21st, Pete will be preaching uh, at all of our services, and we hope you'll enjoy the message he's going to bring as part of the series that Sue Ann just talked about. So um, today it is my privilege to bring the final installment of this series we've been calling Remarkable Relationships. And I wanna try and end the series today by giving you some practical wisdom that wraps all this stuff up and and you can take with you and apply in your daily life to make your relationships uh, even more uh, wonderful than maybe they are. And whenever I'm looking for practical wisdom, Uh, on doing anything about life in in an even better way, I often go to this book, uh, and especially to a portion of the book known as the Wisdom Literature of the Old Testament. Uh, Two of the books most famous for this are the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. And both of these books are attributed to King Solomon of Israel, who uh, we read in the scriptures, uh, prayed for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom in an uncommon kind of way, and he's throughout the centuries and millennia actually been known as one of the great go-to people when it comes to finding wisdom. I want to listen, have you listen with me to something that he writes in Ecclesiastes chapter four. Listen to the word of God. Again, he says, I saw something meaningless under the sun. And when he says that, by the way, what, what Solomon is doing is, pay attention here. Let's look for the meaning in this story. I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. And then he goes on and says, And now he's starting to figure this stuff out. He's starting to figure out what this lesson of this life is teaching all of us. And he writes, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their work. If one falls down, his friend can help him up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. This is God's word to us about the importance of relationship in life. And may he bless to us uh, this wisdom. I think that if I were to boil down into one simple idea, one of the most important principles about relationship, it is that every great relationship has at its center a friendship of a significant kind. I wanna just be quick to say that it's, that's probably the second most important thing we've said in this series. The first most important thing is that we want to have a relationship with the great God of love as the the foundation of our life because that relationship will fill all of our other relationships over time if we let it. And that's what the message was last week. If you didn't get a chance to hear that one, go back to our website and listen to that message from last week and I think you'll find that helpful. But having that relationship will inspire us to build the quality of friendship in our other relationships. And if you think about good marriages that you see or, or have experienced, or you watch the connections between adult parents and their kids, or between siblings or workmates or teams of an of a impressive kind, they always have this in common, don't they? At the heart of it, they're friends with each other. Even Jesus actually said this is the blessing he wanted to give us. He wanted his disciples. Uh, to experience this. And he says towards the very end of his earthly ministry with the disciples, he says, no longer do I call you servants because a servant doesn't know what his master is uh, saying or what his master is really doing. But I have called you friends because I've made known to you everything that the Father has told me. Jesus wanted his disciples to know they had his friendship and, and he called them to live in friendship with each other in a deeper, a deeper kind of way. Now, it's a really sad thing when somebody doesn't have a friend. Uh, it's a sad thing when someone has not known the, the, the blessing or has lost the blessing of a deep kind of friendship. And, and that is what really strikes the heart of Solomon in our lesson today from Ecclesiastes. He's mourning this reality in the life of somebody he's observing. Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was this man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Translation. I saw this guy whose life was consumed by work and wealth, and yet neither brought him real contentment. He may have had a lot of people around him, He may have had a a lot of people talking to him, but he had nobody who really shared his life. He was active, he was affluent, but he was all alone. He had no real friend. This is what Solomon is observing about this man. Friendship is the key to overcoming loneliness when we're by ourselves but it's also the secret to overcoming the challenge of living with other people. (laughs) Have you noticed that that can be a challenge? Yeah, it can be a real challenge. When the fabric of friendship, just check this against your experience, when the fabric of friendship is strong, you can bear with a lot in the life of other people. You can you can bear the winds and the worries and the frictions that beset the relationship. But when the fabric of friendship gets weak and worn, it's only a matter of time before the inevitable pressures of the imperfections of your life and the other person's life and and the pressures of life's difficulties bring the kite of our connections down. And this is why if we want to to renew the a faltering relationship, or, or, or proof it against further difficulties in life, then it pays to make sure that we're investing in the particular practices that build up the fabric of friendship, that strengthen the fabric of friendship. So that's what I want to talk about today. I want to explore with you four particular practices that get revealed for us in this, just little, this short little passage from Ecclesiastes chapter 4. Uh, Verses 7 and following. I want to just think about four of these practices. The first of the investments is suggested by the question that Solomon poses in chapter 4 and verse 8. He asks, for whom am I toiling and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. It's a miserable business. Sometimes this is what it feels like, doesn't it? in our relationship. It sometimes feels like our life is just this chore. It's a miserable business. And part of the misery comes from the people we have to deal with. You know, the, 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 the difficult people in our lives. Sometimes the difficult people closest to us in life. I, I think back to a time in my marriage when it was really hard. And, and, and there just was so much pressure on our marriage. Uh, Amy and I were both um, working. We were both in school. We were raising uh, little kids. We were struggling with money. It was really easy when all of this stuff was just rattling around and pressing and tearing at us. It was really easy to look at the other person and think, you're part of the problem. You're not pulling your way. You don't understand me. This personality trait in you is really bugging me. I know that's never happened in any other marriage in this room, but this was what was going on. About that time, um, a seasoned couple in our church, Carl and Carol Dill, God bless their names, um, said to us, Listen, why don't you just take a week in December? You know, it's really cold here. Take a week in December and go on down to our home in Naples for a week. Well, th- this invitation pr- provoked a, a bit of a crisis for us because truthfully, Amy and I at that moment weren't sure we wanted to be cooped up <laughs> that long just with that other person. And there were so many other things that we had to attend to back at home that we felt like we couldn't just walk away from, but but our friends, the Dills, wouldn't let that go. And so even though we protested, hey, we can't leave the kids behind, they removed that obstacle by saying, hey, we're going to come up from Florida, and we're going to take care of your kids. And I said, well, well yeah, but you know, we got, we got this big, hairy dog. You don't, we know you don't like dogs. We'll get over it. We'll take care of the dog. And, and the more obstacles we raised, the more they would just bring the level of worry about that down. And finally almost out of embarrassment we finally said yes they had seen the tension in our marriage they were doing something about it the way friends do for each other and so off we went to florida it was not pretty at first we were uh, rattling around in this in this lovely home. We had not had this kind of face-to-face encounter with each other in a sustained way for many years. There were a lot of issues between us that we hadn't talked through, that that needed to be worked through, but we didn't have the energy anymore to do that. We were just so tired from all the other stuff we were juggling. And so, at first, we just rested. We took naps in different parts of the house. Um, You know, we, we read books. We eventually went out for walks, we went swimming, we went out for dinner, we came home, went to sleep early, and it went on like this for several days, and then this really weird thing started to happen. Each of us would look across the the, the room or across the table at the other, and there was like this, wow, I remember you. We used to have a really good time together. We were great friends. And bit by bit, the, the thaw occurred and we began to talk and began to raise some of the stuff that needed resolution and it was the beginning of a, of a new phase for us. I've seen the same thing happen in my workplace. I can think back to a time in, uh, in our life as a, as a church staff where just the pressure of things made things really hard. We were disagreeing with each other. There was tension all the time. And, and uh, some of us, you know, had different working style or communication style. It's other people on the staff. Morale was not great. We were just keeping after it. And our HR director at the time was Sherry Adams. And Sherry said, I've got an idea. Let's go on a retreat together. And we went... Oh, no. <laughs> with those people? You know, I mean, like, and, and, and then off we went up to Woodstock, to a monastery up in Woodstock, Illinois, together. And suddenly we're, we're eating meals with each other, and we're going out for walks together, and we're having conversation about life together, not just work, but life together. And and then we're playing games together and, and we go out bowling together. I find out that Eric Camfield, Sue Ann's uh, spouse, can throw a bowling ball almost the entire length of the alley in the air. You know, it was amazing. Uh, and, and then we have this scavenger hunt, this car rally scavenger hunt, and we're laughing and having such a blast. And it changes the whole chemistry. And, and we suddenly remember why we signed on with this crew in the first place. And there's joy again in work. Nothing else has changed except the renewal of the fabric of friendship has gone on. You know, there's a, a simple biblical principle here. There's this fundamental idea that gets captured in this question that Solomon asks. Why are you depriving yourself of enjoyment? That, I think, is the question God might be asking you today, or at least some of us today. Is, is it possible that the relationship is getting to the, has gotten to the place that it is, that the kite has fallen to the height that it has, because you can't have a remarkable relationship without the practice of play? So how can you restore more play in the important connections in your life? Um, maybe it's time to plan an overnight getaway together or a real vacation. Maybe you need to take a ballroom dancing class together or, or scuba lessons or, or something. do something together where neither of you is a pro or even close to being an expert and you're both gonna be learning this thing together. Uh, Maybe you ought to watch more comedy movies or maybe come watch me play golf and then you'll laugh, you'll have fun at that. Or go out in this incredible day today and go on a walk together in, in the forest preserve. Or plan a dinner party with people you love or even better yet, plan a dinner party with people you just like to get to know together and might one day come to love as friends. Or go to a funeral together or visit a nursing home together and remember how good it is just to be alive just to be as healthy as you are right now and and remember what a gift it is to have somebody who knows you next to you sharing this adventure or stop by a car dealership and take out a convertible stop by several car dealerships take out their nice cars drive them have fun together roll down the windows volunteer together at a children's ministry uh, event of Christ Church or, or one of our student ministry gatherings do that come to Spirit Village volunteer watch the kids and remember what it looks like to really play and to know that your greatest wealth in life is your friends kids know this As adults, we forget it. Then consider the second piece of counsel Solomon offers in this verse, verse 10 of the passage. He writes, if one falls down, his friend can help him up, but pity the man who falls and has no one to help him up. Neil Jacobson is a clinical psychologist at the University of Washington. And Jacobson Jacobson found in his research that most relationships suffer critical injury not so much from the direct pressures within the bond as much as from the pressures that come on the relationship from the outside world. They assign the blame to the other person. But what's really going on is just this, this set of forces on the whole relationship that are very destructive, and if I think about that, it feels so true. Life beats us up, right? It just, it tears us apart. It wears us down. The, the financial demands, the expectations, the callousness and criticism of other people that we meet in all the other spheres of life, it drives us lower and lower and lower till we have almost nothing left to give to our most important relationships, So we just don't have the energy to even do things that friends do, or used to do. We stop playing, and we stop lifting each other. We stop helping each other up. What what Jacobson found was that it was the practice of intentionally lifting people, the other up, that, that made the difference in relationships. And and, and Jacobson suggests that one of the most important practices that you can uh, use is is just to simply ask each other, as often as you can, how was your day? No, no, how, how, really, tell me more about it. What was your day like? And if they give you a, 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 you a brief answer, pull it out of them. No, no, tell me about, walk me through the day. What was the highlight? What was the hard part? What did it feel like? Um, really help me understand that. And when they talk to you then about their day, you don't try and solve their problems. You just try to share their problems. You just try to express some empathy. Let this weary person that you're speaking with know that even if this world has beaten them down or they have fallen down in some way, they have got a friend to help them up. Back in September, I cast a vision for this congregation in which I said, hey, let's be the congregation that lifts people, that lifts communities, that lifts families, that lifts individuals. Let's be that church together. Let's go through every single week lifting each of us, at least one person, in some important way towards their fuller potential. As I said, Jacobson found that couples that do that for each other, that Help lift each other's spirits in the face of the pressures of life were dramatically more successful in preserving their relationship than those who had stopped bothering and given it up. So are you practicing this essential discipline of friendship? Could you be doing that even more? Uh, The Apostle Paul says, we are to bear one another's burdens and in this way, Fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ, of course, was simply the call, the command, love one another as I've loved you. So, play more, number one. Number two, lift each other up. Help each other up a little bit more emotionally. Or think about getting even better at a third practice of friendship, and Solomon is getting at this one when he writes this. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? I, um, I get to marry people. I get to perform weddings. It's one of the most fun things I ever get to do. And in the process of getting ready to perform a wedding, I sit over multiple sessions with a couple. And in the first session, I always ask them, I want you to tell me, as if I was a complete stranger, maybe somebody that, that uh, had never met your intended spouse before, I want you to tell me, what is it about this other person that you so love and admire that you would be willing to give away the one life you have on this earth to that person? What is it? And the couple always kind of, ooh, it's like a deep question. And then they start talking. And then often you can't stop them from talking because it comes all gushing out. All of these, the qualities that they notice, the complimentary gifts, the the memories of of certain moments, uh, the the, the admiration they feel for the character and the capacity of this other person. And, And I'm furiously scribbling down, word for word, as much of it as I possibly can. And then on their wedding day, I feed it back to them. And I share that with their guests. This is what they cherish and admire so much about this person. They want to give their life to them. And then I tell the couple, it's here in this wedding book. I'm giving it to you. I want you to take this home. And I want you to return to this when the relationship gets harder. And you know what? It always gets harder, doesn't it? There's, things that, that, that the, there's a hardness about life you can't see from, the, from that place when you're standing there in those beautiful clothes on the, at the wedding altar. Uh, degree by degree, our own sin, the sin of the other person, the pressures of this world, they just tear at the fabric of the relationship. There comes a day in almost every relationship when we are so far from one another that we feel terribly alone and cold and it's then that we need not to walk away it's then that we need to take measures to warm each other up do you remember the name john gottman from a few episodes back in this series he's this legendary marital therapist that can tell whether a relationship's going to make it just by interviewing them for 30 minutes well gottman says that that fondness and admiration fondness and admiration are two of the most crucial elements in a rewarding and long-lasting romance. Although married, happily married couples may feel driven to distraction at times by their partner's personality, I know that's never happened in your marriage if you're married, but it happens in some marriages, they still feel that the person they married is worthy of honor and respect. It's not that any relationship, work relationship, romantic relationship, is never going to have times of fric- friction and difficulty where you're driven crazy by this other person. It's whether you've been able to hold on to a sense of what originally gave you a sense of respect and admiration, fondness for this other person. That is what makes all of the difference. So Gottman, in, in counseling couples that are having difficulty, um, has a strategy for addressing the need, and it is not plumbing their problems. Gottman does not basically set about trying to focus on all of the pathology in the relationship. His strategy is to build up the warmth of the connection, the sense of admiration, the remembrance of fondness, which when rekindled can actually provide the kind of friendship that enables us to address our pathologies or the difficulties we're having. Remember, I'm telling you, it wasn't until Amy and I have gotten away and played and started to feel the affection again that we can even have the conversation about the things that need to be repaired. And so Gottman asks couples to lie down together, figuratively or literally, And he says, I want you to get close to each other and do one of the following exercises every single day to see if you cannot heat up the fondness and admiration that you you used to have for each other that's just gotten frozen by the pressures of life. And so here's a list of just a few of the exercises that he gives. You can get more of this if you're interested in reading his book, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. But try a couple of these at home, at work, wherever your relationship may be tested, uh, here are a couple of the ideas. First, describe one character trait or physical attribute that you find sort of endearing or lovable about the other. Just describe one. Think of a good time in your relationship and talk about what was so good about that. Or name one thing about the other person you admire one thing that makes you proud about them. Or describe one strong value, belief, or interest the two of you have in common and why that is actually important to you. Talk about a common goal that you once had or a goal that you could forge together if you set about doing it. Describe a time when you felt very supported by the other person. Tell the story of your meeting and why you decided to bind your lives to one another in the first place. Pull out the book that the pastor gave you where that was written down. Describe one thing that the other person does that makes your life easier. They may be difficult in X, Y, and Z ways, but describe one thing that makes it easier and one clear benefit of your relationship. Talk about one thing that you planned or produced together that turned out well. Name a difference between you that you've managed to adapt to pretty successfully. Describe a tough time that you weathered together. Think of another love, work, social, or family relationship that is in worse shape than yours is and give thanks, at least it's not that bad. You know, Gottman was not the first one to, to suggest this um, or write about it. We, we read um, in the letter to the Philippians, Paul's writing many years ago, these words. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy. He's basically saying here, I know there's going to be a lot that's not. I know that relationships are hard. I know that people are imperfect. But if you focus on that, the kite's going down. So if there's anything that's excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Key in on these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The God of peace will fill you up again. So think on these things, brothers and sisters, and see if it doesn't warm up that relationship. Play. Help each other up. Warm each other. Finally, I want to encourage all of us to work at the fourth practice of Friendship Solomon Commends, and it is simply this defend the people closest to you. Defend them. Solomon writes, though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. Now I wanna qualify what I'm about to say because I think we live in an age where sometimes we defend people in inappropriate ways. Uh, We jump in to rescue them when they need to take responsibility. We jump in to be involved when actually, they want to step forward themselves. We sometimes uh, remove from our kids the consequences of their actions when we would actually be better off helping them experience those consequences and face their faults. But that said, we will never have truly remarkable relationships with them uh, until our children, our spouses, our, our workmates, our teammates know beyond a shadow of a doubt That at the core, we have their back. We may have issues, we may have objections, we may have things we gotta talk about, but at the core, we have their back. They need to have memories of when you stood up for them, when the world was against them, when others were standing against them, when others were believing the worst of them. You were daring to believe in the best about them, amidst a world of people who are ambivalent about others, who are actively... perhaps arrayed against them, do the people closest to you know that God has appointed you as part of their strong defense? Are you one of the securities in their life? Let me close today by saying that I know that what I'm suggesting isn't easy. In fact, this whole series has been about practices that are, well, they take effort to put into place. They're a discipline. I know it's definitely not easy to prioritize play in a society of toil. It's not easy to lift others up when we ourselves feel beaten down, it's not easy to warm up affection when the connection feels like it's gone cold, it's not easy to defend imperfect people instead of joining the attack. It wasn't easy for Jesus to cross eternity and become a human being. It was not easy for him to walk around in human flesh. It was not easy for him to lay his body upon a cross and pour out his life's blood for people who were cheering for his execution. But love does this. Love of the greatest kind does this. And this is what Jesus has said. I want you to love other people the way I've loved you. And if you're finding it hard to love other people, look again at me. Remember how I love you. So dear ones, as hard as it is, all of these behaviors, they are what renews the fabric of friendship. And God's word promises that those who invest in building friendship will, and I quote, have a good return for their work. So as far away as some of these connections in your life or mine may have gone, we can see the good return, we can. We can leave behind the world of regular relationships and we can build some more remarkable ones. And I hope that this series has helped all of us move a little further in that direction. For this, I know, is the call of Jesus. This is our mission. This is our destiny. To which I hope all of you will say, Amen.